morning. How are you doing today? It's good to see you. Hey, my name's Kirk Jones. I have the privilege of serving here at Fellowship Church as lead pastor, and we're glad that you're here to worship with us today. We're in a series called Mountains and Mercy, where we've just been starting out just learning about the mercy of God and traveling actually backwards through Scripture some, seeing uh, the stories of where people have experienced the mercy of God, um, in particular in relationship to own mountains and experiencing that. And we started with Mount Calvary, where the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for us. And we've learned this truth about the mercy of God is that the mercy of God is not in spite of, it is because of. You know, sometimes we struggle with that. We think like God is this God of just holiness and judgment and righteousness, which by the way, he is a God of holiness and of righteousness and of judgment. But he is also a God of grace and a God of mercy and loving kindness towards us. That he is a God of mercy, mercy that he is um, full of steadfast love and compassion towards us. It is because of who he is that he would show his mercy towards us. And it is because of who we are. We need it. Every last one of us needs the mercy of God. We're all sinners. We all have strayed. We all have gone our own way. There's not a single person here today that that is not true of. That we all are in need of it. And that God has given it. And that, that on Easter, when we started this series, we learned two important truths about what God has done that he might show us his mercy. The first truth was that he has reconciled us to himself. This word reconciliation, it's a financial term in that he's paid your account. You have a debt because of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's this debt and we can't afford it. We don't have the capacity to pay it. But the Lord Jesus Christ with his life paid it on our behalf and he has reconciled us. And I want you to understand, it's not just that your account is no longer in wrong standing, your account is in right standing. Not only has he paid the price for your unrighteousness, he has given to you his righteousness. You have an account that's in right standing. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the mercy of God towards us. The second thing, <clears throat> thing was not only reconciliation, but justification. This is a legal term, and you're guilty. And sin has a price. And you owe to, with your life. <clears throat> but he gave his life for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He's justified us. Now I want you to understand, you're no longer guilty if you're in Christ. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and repented of your sin, you are no longer guilty. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you are living like there's just less condemnation. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. This is the wonderful mercy of our God, this God of mercy. And I want you to understand something. Why, why we're spending so much time on this is you need to understand that this is who he is. He hasn't acted out of character when he's been merciful to you. It is who he is. We can trust on it. So we've walked back through some stories, backwards through the, through the scripture. We, we, we saw the Mount of Transfiguration where a few of the disciples got to see Jesus in all of his glory on the mountain with 
Elijah and Moses. And at first like, this is awesome that we get to be here. We should build you some tents and we should just stay here. And then God spoke from heaven and they fell on their face saying, we don't belong here basically. Like all of a sudden I shouldn't be here, right? Because they had seen the, they heard heard and understood the majesty of God, but God by his mercy made it a place where they belonged. Oh, it's a a beautiful story. We we saw it uh, with Elijah on Mount Carmel when he faced off against all the false prophets of Baal and, and God showed up that he might draw his people back to himself by his mercy, even though they had been living in rebellion and committing the sin of idolatry. We saw it um, when we talked about the Temple Mount. And often when we talk about the temple, all we think about is the rules and the list of rules and all the laws. And we forget that what God created and gave was a place where he could show his mercy towards us, that, that, that the people of God might always pray in that place and towards that place, that he would hear from heaven and that he would forgive their sins. That's what God has done. We, we can often forget that, especially when we get to the rules. Today we're gonna be at Mount Sinai and Moses, and Moses is about to give to the people the law of God. And often, if we're not careful, all we do is see the rules. So I wanna ask a quick question as we get started today about who you are a little bit. How many of you, like rules. Raise your hand if you're a, a, you like there to be rules and you like everybody to follow them, right? All right, yeah, you're the enforcer of rules, right? You're like, nope, 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 you weren't supposed to do it that way, right? Like you're keeping the rules for everybody, all right? Now, how many of you, as soon as you hear a rule, start trying to think, here's how I can break that rule? Come on. All right, yep, both people in the room, you drive each other crazy. Oddly enough, some of you married each other. I don't know why you chose to do that, but you did, all right? Now, there's a, there actually can be a third group in this. How many of you really never even pay attention to the rules? Like you don't even know that there any rules were given, right? You're like the rest, you're like all of us when the stewardess is giving the rules for being on an airplane, right? Like nobody's listening to what you're saying, right? Like when the plane goes down over land, I don't need to know where something that floats is, okay? And so, but anyway, so, so th- there's rules. So I actually brought some pictures of some signs that kind of give rules for people that most of us would probably ignore but they might be worth paying attention to. So here's the first one. It's at a lake somewhere, and they inform you 171 people have drowned in this lake. Three of them were wearing life jackets, and 168 were not. I probably ought to pay attention to that. But if I'm in South Louisiana getting in a boat in the summer where it's hot, I probably don't want to wear my life jacket. Right? I would say that, ooh, yeah, people ought to wear life jackets, but I know how to swim, right? Because I think I'm above needing a life jacket, but I'm not above needing a life jacket. The second one, um, and this one's great, beware of falling deer. Leopards conceal their unfinished food in the tops of trees. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm not really worried about falling deer. This would be a sign we're, we're uh, warning me about the animal that's large enough to kill a deer and carry it up a tree. Like I'm way more worried about the leopard than I am the falling deer. I actually, I, like, I don't know if that's a real sign, but it's a great picture if it's not, all right? The third one, oh yeah, uh, aggressive geese keep walking. Somebody did not listen. I don't know if you've ever been around these geese when they have eggs, but they will come get you. Like, they're not playing around. All right, and then the last one, this container transports a disease which has no cure. I'll be honest, I'm looking at the trailer and I'm thinking they're lying. But if I was a thief, it worked. 
right? Like, I'm not testing my theory that that's a lie and messing with some disease for which there is no cure. Like, that's great theft deterrent right there, right? But, you know, often in life, we, we, see, we see some laws, we see some rules, and all we can really focus on is what we can't do. And we miss maybe why we shouldn't do. I want you to understand something, that the mercy of God and the law and in truth is because God loves you and he wants to give you life. He wants you to experience the best of what he created. And often we can assume, well, he doesn't want me to get the best. He, he must want me to have the worst. God wants to give you his very best by his mercy. So today we're gonna be in Exodus. We're gonna be in Exodus 19, um, hearing from Moses as as he's going up on Mount Sinai and the Lord speaks to him so that he might speak to the people. This is why they're on the Exodus going from Egypt where they were living in slavery for hundreds of years to the promised land. And in Exodus 19, starting in verse four, it says this, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You've seen my mighty power. You've seen what I've done. But I want y'all to hear this. A lot of times if we're not careful when we look at the Exodus and the story of God's people traveling from Egypt to the promised land and all the things that go on with it, the 40 years, their disobedience, their unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness in the midst of their unfaithfulness, all the things that are in the story. We, 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 we think he just, all God was doing was taking them from one place to another place. And actually what he says is, I'm bringing you to myself. I'm bringing you to me. I'm not just bringing you to some land. I'm bringing you to the land I promised you because you're my people and I'm your God. I'm bringing you to myself. It goes on and says this, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. I want you to understand, man, what a, what a wonderful promise to them. You're my treasured possession amongst all, uh, amongst all the peoples. I've chosen you to be my treasured possession and all the earth is mine. What he's saying is, I could have chosen any people for myself, but I, I chose you. You're a treasure. We're gonna get to this meaning of treasured possession and what it means for us who are in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the nation of Israel. You know, this this imagery is actually found again in Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, and the Lord is speaking to the, through Peter to the, to the church, to the followers of Christ, to those who are in Christ. And it says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. May we never forget the great mercy and grace of God that called us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. May we not grow so familiar with the light and so familiar with the mercy and grace of our God that we forget where he's brought us from. That he brought us to himself and he did it at a price. That we're his treasured possession, a possession for himself. And, and the truth we need to understand today is this, is that the mercy of God changes everything. It changes everything. It changes everything about our identity. It changes who we are. It doesn't just change what we've done. 
See, some of us see forgiveness just as the transaction. It changes who we are, the grace and mercy of God. That we are this treasured possession. We we are, as the people of God, a purchased and prized possession of God. We are the purchased and prized possession of God. He paid for you at a price. The cost of his son who died on a cross and was raised from the dead so that God might bring you to himself, that, that he is reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus, and that is us. We're his treasured possession. He paid for us, and he treasures us. He purchased us, and we're valuable to him. You matter to him. He loves you and treasures you. He knows the number of hair on your head. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, that's not very hard for him to know that. But he, he knew the number before you lost them, right? Like, he's always cared for you. Now, we all have some things that we treasure as possessions that are valuable to us, but are really not nearly as valuable in the world as they are to us, right? Like, there's some things that we own that are sentimental or have some value to us. But if you were to try to sell them at the price you feel like they're worth, nobody else would purchase them. But God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid that price. I I have a treasured possession I brought with me today. This is important to me. No, it doesn't matter to very many people in the world. It's an LC football shirt. And I got this shirt when LC did not have a football team. All right? Because the LC didn't have a football team when I was there. All right? But the reason why I got one is because... um, I was part of a flag football team that was pretty good. I have to be careful with this. It might fall apart. It's old because it's been a long time since I was in college, right? And so, but I got this and I played for a flag football team. They got to go represent our college at the Nike National Tournament. And we had a great time. We were, we were a pretty good team because they didn't use me for very much. And so we had a great time and, and we have, but so it's, 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 treasured to me like I, I, I've held on to this all these years and actually just a couple years ago I, I got together with some of my friends that I played with and I decided to wear this shirt and I showed up and one of them couldn't believe I still had it and so he st- started offering money and I was kind of like hmm, like he got close like I'm not gonna lie like I almost sold like sold right you know I mean I treasure it but I only treasure it so much right like it has a price do you understand how much our, our God treasures us? He gave everything for you. You're his treasured and prized possession. He purchased you. Your price. The second truth that we learn here is that we're the kingdom of priests, that we are a people set apart to serve God. You know, priest can be a, a confused word for a lot of people. I mean, the New Testament, um, the word priest is not used in the instruction of the leadership of the church. Um, there's a lot of titles and responsibilities really that come out of giftedness that's given. There's um, apostles and pastors and teachers and prophets, you know, some of the, there's all these gifts, but, but, but priest is something a little bit different in the Old Testament. A priest was a person who served 
for the benefit of others that they might be reconciled to the Lord. They were a go-between, if you were, a mediator. They would literally do the work of sacrifice on behalf of others. And that was their, that was their duty, that was their job. And, and they were set aside to serve. Not to be served, but to serve on behalf of everyone else. And, and actually, it's interesting, because a lot of times we still kind of, if we're not careful, kind of look to other people to, to help us have that right relationship with God. And there, there's a place in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That we might have confidence by the grace and mercy of God to draw near to him. Not, not needing yet another to serve in between us and God because we have a great high priest who's already done that. Who's paid the price of all sacrifice for us. Who died for sin, sin once for all. Oh, that we would live this hope that we have, that we've been set apart to serve. God has a purpose for us as a kingdom of priests. You know, when something would be consecrated or sanctified, often they would take like a, a utensil that might look very much like one you would use in your home, and then they would use it in the offering of sacrifices at the temple. It's the very, very similar looking. Really in the same way they, they serve practically the same function that you might grab something and move it from here to there, that you might be able to, to do those things. But this one would be consecrated. It would be set apart. And it was intended for service to the Lord. It didn't exist for you to take to your house and use it for your own purposes. It was in, in, in his house for his purposes. And we're a kingdom of priests and God has set us aside to serve him. You have a purpose that God has given you and he's given to you all the gifts necessary that you might live that out by his mercy. What a beautiful thing. We've been set aside to serve. We're a kingdom of priests. The third thing is we're a holy nation, that we are a people for the pleasure and purpose of God, for both the pleasure and the purpose of God. You know, I've often heard it said that the, the most efficient and effective form of government is a monarchy when the monarch is both wise and benevolent. But most of us would never choose to live in a monarchy because history is full of sinful people who had the capacity to reign over and rule over people. Kings and queens who lacked mercy and lacked wisdom. We would rather not be under such rule. But we have a God who is benevolent and merciful. And he has called us to himself as a holy nation. The people for his pleasure and the people for his purpose. That he might love us, that he might and his great mercy showed us his great love with which he has loved us. Remembering that we've been made alive together in Christ Jesus. God not only required holiness from us, God purchased holiness on our behalf. He paid the price for it. So now I wanna go a little bit further down to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse one, where now the rules are given. 
This is kind of why. This is, I'm calling you to be my people. I've chosen you to be my people. These are three descriptions of who you are as my people. Now, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image uh, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your, all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work for you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that your, the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. These are the, these are the rules. These are the laws. And a lot of times we just read these and go, oh, there's the limitations. There's all the things that, that we, we can't do. You know, young people, I want you to hear something from me today. You know. Actually, I'm gonna ask a question of everybody, not just the young people. How many of you, at some point while you were growing up in your parents' household, thought there was a rule in the household that really didn't need to be there? Anybody experienced that? Like, ah, that rule doesn't make any sense. That's no good. Some of you are lying. That's one of the commandments. No, um, We've all felt that way. But you know what? The thing about rules is they're, they're really made not just to limit us, but to give us life. You know, the, the rule not to play by the street is not to limit your ability to play, but to protect your life. Like there's, a, there's a reason. But some of us don't like rules. You know, I don't like the kind of rules that I fail to keep. Like, if I'm not good at the rule, it shouldn't exist. I've been playing pickleball a little bit here recently, and there's this rule that you're not allowed to hit the ball after it's been served until it bounces, like both the first two times. And I think it's a stupid rule. The reason why it's a stupid rule is because I keep forgetting it. Like that's the reason why it shouldn't exist is because I can't remember that I'm not allowed to hit that ball, and I want to hit the ball hard and fast and beat you, right? And I should be allowed to do so. We should change the rule for me, right? But that's how some of us see any rule or any law. I want you to understand the law of God does not limit love, it allows it. It's not limiting love. It is allowing for it in your life. It is the mercy of God that he would give to you these instructions that he, you might live out the life he intended for you. You know, it reminds me of this life that we have. You know, it says this, the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life, and that life to the full. And sometimes we, we want to live more the ways of the enemy. You know, the enemy from day one in the garden was saying to Eve, is that really what God said? Did he really say you couldn't? Is that what God said? 
oh yeah, they, God's trying to limit me. No, God's loving you. He's allowing you to live in the fullness of what he intended for you. And so often we rebel just because there's a limit. But do, we, do you see the love of God and the law of God, the mercy of God? He wants better for you than you want for yourself. He's wiser than you. His ways are better than your ways and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, he's, he, literally in these commands, he's taught us to honor, that we'd honor the Lord, that we'd honor the Lord's name, that we'd honor the Lord's day, that we would honor family and the authority found in it, that we would honor life, that we would honor one another and the stuff that someone owns, that we would honor well, marriage and the beauty of what God intended and created in it. And I'm gonna tell you this, if you'll live this life of honor, you will find that these laws have not limited your life, but have given you a life that is more full of love and of life than you've ever imagined. It's God's best for you, not his worst. It's by the mercy of God that he would do this for us. That there is truth and there is a way to live because the creator of life knows what is better for you than you ever have. See, the law of God is not about forcing us to be who God created us to be, but freeing us to become who God created us to be. It frees us. In Romans chapter six, it says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may, ab but, but it may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we should no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died has been set free from sin. We've been set free. There's a freedom found in the mercy of God, found in the ways of God, and the life that, that he purchased for us. If we remember the love of God, the law of God looks a lot less like limits and a lot more like love when we remember the mercy of God. It doesn't just look like limits to our life. It looks like love. That he would guide us in his ways because he desires the very best for us, that we would honor him, that we would trust him. Even when we don't understand his ways, we would trust him in his ways. When we can't see the reason or the purpose and why that we would trust the, pers the person of God in the ways he's called us to live. And it goes on and actually I'm gonna go a little bit further than I, I wrote uh, down for them to put on screen. We're gonna look at Exodus 20 starting in verse 18. And this is how the people respond after they've been given the law. It says this, now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, 
The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. By the way, this is, this is what it looked like and sounded like when the presence of God went down on Mount Sinai. The greatness and glory of God was seen. His majesty and his holiness. And they were scared. Reminds me of the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Like, oh man, we ought to stay here and build tents and all of a sudden God speaks, I, don't, I shouldn't be here. Reminds me of Isaiah when he finds himself in the throne room of God and he says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips but this God of mercy sends one of the, the cherubim to, to take a coal from the, around the altar and touch his lips that he might be purified by the mercy and grace of God. It's, there, there, there's fear and trembling here. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to you to test you, that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, I find this a very in interesting instruction. Do not fear so that the fear of God might be before you. Wait, hold on. Am I supposed to not fear or am I supposed to fear? He's telling them, don't, don't be afraid, but you're gonna experience the fear of God. And today, I want, I want us to understand is the mercy of, of God is this. It's the fear of God that draws us near to God. It's the fear of God that draws us near to God. It's that the fullness of God is seen, all of his holiness, all of his righteousness, all of his judgment and his justice. And I want you to understand, your life is not just in and of yourself. In and of yourself, you are not righteous. In and of who you are, there is nothing about you that is holy. And when you understand the righteousness and holiness and justice of God, you should tremble and fear before him. But I also want you to see that the closeness of God is seen. Not just the fullness of God, but the closeness of God. When we have a right understanding of God and a right and healthy fear of God, here's what it causes us to do. It causes us to fall on our face in fear before a holy God, yet desire to be at his feet. It's this fear of God that draws us near to him because that's the mercy of God. Because all of this is true of God, yet he paid a price for you this God of mercy. He desires you. You're his treasured possession. See, all that is true of God that should drive us away from God draws us near to God by the mercy of God. God has not been merciful to you in spite of himself. He's been merciful to you because of himself. He is a God of mercy slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But sometimes we forget that. We don't trust on and rely in the mercy of God. If we're not careful, we presume on the richness of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his mercy towards us. Here's what I hope for each one of you, that you would fear God in such a way that you do not live afraid of God, that you would have a right and healthy fear of God, 
understanding his holiness and his righteousness, but also knowing his mercy and his grace, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but that you would not live constantly every day just in this paralyzing fear of God, but in this freeing fear of God, that God in all of his righteousness and all of his holiness has loved you with a great love by his mercy and by his grace, he's made you alive together with Christ Jesus. You're his treasured possession. He bought you. You're a kingdom of priests. He sets you apart for himself. You're a holy nation and you have a purpose for his glory and he has pleasure in you as children because he loves you, this great God of mercy. But I want you to understand if you're ever gonna have that relationship with God, it's because you're going to come to a place where you fear enough the judgment and righteousness of God that you confess him as Lord and trust on his grace and mercy that is found only in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you would confess him as Lord. And I believe some of you in this room have never come to know the mercy of God in your life. You just know his rules. You learned them a long time ago. You've heard the rules and you've kept those in your mind, but it's caused you to fear him and not to love him. But he is reconciling us to himself. In this day, if you need to talk to somebody today about what it means to know the mercy of God, to come to that place of confession of Jesus Christ as Lord, and asking and seeking his forgiveness and grace, we'd love to have that conversation with you. Myself and some other leaders are gonna be up here while we sing this next song. We'd invite you to come right now and talk with us about that. We're gonna hang around after service is over. If you're nervous about walking in front of everybody, we wanna have a conversation with you this day about what it means to know life in Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Christ. You know his mercy, but maybe you've forgotten about it. And you're just living under a weight of guilt and shame. And it's time you trusted in the mercy and goodness of God fresh and new. Maybe you're here and you've been taking too lightly the mercy and grace of God. And you need to repent. And say, I gotta come back to the Lord. I've, I've trusted in a way that I didn't honor him with it. I don't know where you're at, but I know this. Our God is the same today as, he, as he's always been. And he's a God of mercy and grace and kindness. And he desires to reconcile you to himself this day. He desires to bring you to himself. I pray that you'll respond. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me now. I'm gonna pray for us. Then let's sing together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your mercy and grace and kindness towards us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this place today that does not know that hope that is found in Christ, I pray that you change their eternity this day. For those maybe who are struggling to live out the mercy and grace of God in their life, Father God, I pray right now that you would indeed do a great work in them and call them to yourself fresh and new this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.